Thanks for sharing. And so is a great story. Welcome to the Kiwi Foodcast, the show where we sit down with chefs, food businesses, food writers and more to share the stories behind the food they serve. I'm your host, Persan Patel, and this show is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Let's dig in, everyone. Welcome again to the Kiwi Foodcast, everyone. Today on the show, we have Deborah, founder of Kiwi Harvest. Kiwi Harvest is on a mission to reduce food wastage by rescuing food that supermarkets, restaurants, wholesalers and others are unable to sell. They then work with social agencies and enterprises to redirect that food they have rescued to Kiwis living in poverty. Deborah also works with her team to increase awareness and engagement with the issues of food waste and food insecurity through workshops in schools and with corporates. Today, we talk to Deborah about how one man's waste can be another's treasure. We touch upon the huge food waste and food poverty problem in New Zealand and talk a little bit about the role of collaborations in growing a non-profit like Kiwi Harvest. Can we as everyday Kiwis do something to help resolve these problems? Let's chat with Deborah and find out. Hi Deborah, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Awesome. So let's start at the very beginning. Can you tell me a little bit about your childhood? Has food always been a feature? I had a typical Kiwi childhood. I grew up in the Manawatu family um, of uh, two parents and three children, uh, two old brothers. We lived a very outdoors childhood um, and so we were really active as kids and we lived on a property that had a big vegetable garden. My father was a very good gardener and uh, so fresh food was always part of our life. Um, we didn't have um, a lot of fancy food um, but the food that my mother cooked was very wholesome and um, and it was always fresh. Awesome. So do you have any like memories from your dad being a gardener and bringing in um Most vegetables? of my memories around food are around family meals that yep. we shared together, um, sitting around the table talking and connecting with each other. And I think that's one of the great things about food is that it is the, the great connector. Yeah, that is true. It always kind of breaks down barriers and um, can you know it's like a common point that everyone everyone has, right? Yes, yeah. Well, it connects us not just to each other, but it connects us to our culture. Mm. It connects us to the land, um, and it connects us to other people um, as we sit and share and talk and get to know the people that we're eating with. Yeah, but. So you actually trained to be a lawyer, am I correct? That's true, yes. <laughs> so how did you go from being a lawyer to being um, involved in the food industry? Well, uh, by chance, actually. Um, by happy chance. Mm. I, uh, I was working as a lawyer and doing a bit of teaching at the University of Otago, and I really enjoyed that. Mm. Um, and one day I was just looking to... <laughs> Just to put a bit more purpose into what I was doing for me as a person, um, I was looking to make a difference in my own community. And so I was reading a newspaper article mm. and uh, about food waste, so about somebody dumpster diving at the back of a supermarket. And this was several years ago, so this mm. was now maybe eight eight and a half, nine years ago. Uh, So somebody dumpster diving, eating the food that was in the dumpsters behind the supermarkets and and proud of it too. Uh, And on the same page was a story about food insecurity for children and the consequential learning problems um, that happen with children when they don't eat well um, and health problems, how they were missing school and so on and so forth. And I thought... What if we took this problem of edible food being thrown away and used it to solve the problem of children and families and people not having enough food to eat? And what would that look like as a business and as a scalable business? Um, so I guess that was the kind of the lawyer side in me thinking, um, you know, don't, just don't set up a small charity, set up a business that's scalable around the country. And um, and so I did a bit of research and found out that it was called Food Rescue, this system, okay. uh, that there was a food rescue in New Zealand already established in Wellington called Kaibosh, but there wasn't much else. 
uh, overseas it was well established but not so much in New Zealand um, so it, it all sort of started from there from that newspaper article and that aha moment okay and what were the early days like because I was reading that you actually started out uh, in your car um, taking this food I and did. distributing it I did. <laughs> I did we've come a long way since then um, so the first thing I did was I um, decided what this business would look like yeah um, and it would it would look like it was a charitable entity, um, but it needed to be run like a business. Uh, so I set about setting up a board and um, understanding all the policies and procedures that would go around that. And then I uh, spoke to food businesses and asked them if they would be interested in getting on board and to food banks and other social service agencies, Women's Refuge and, and the like, and said, would you be interested in me sending you food? And I'm not talking ambient food. I'm not talking tinned food or dried food. This is fresh food, which is more complicated hmm. to pick up and transport and store and so on um, than just tinned or dried food. And they everybody seemed pretty interested. So one day I just started and uh, left my job and got in my car and drove to... Wishbone restaurant in Dunedin, mm-hmm. which is my hometown, and picked up a bag of sandwiches that at the end of the day that they were unable to sell, but they were still perfectly good to eat, and took that home and put it in a fridge, and then the next day took it to uh, a food bank in the city for them to distribute to people that were coming in to ask for food support. Because the thing about people coming in to food banks and other social service agencies to ask for food support help is that they don't come in when they've just missed one meal. They yeah. come in when they've missed sort of three days worth of eating. So they're really hungry. And uh, and I would hear these lovely stories about how they would give them these sandwiches to eat and then say, okay, now let's hear your story. Now how can we help you? Because they were just so hungry when they first came into them. Wow. And, and it just started that way. Um, from the back of my car with one bag and now... Lots of trucks, lots of people, lots of <laughs> lots of branches. So when you say you guys transport fresh food, so that's like sandwiches, and so is that cooked food as well? So well, there is some food that is really easy to to move, mm. and that's fresh fruit and vegetables because yeah. it doesn't need to be stored in refrigerated containers. Um, but what we <clears throat> what we what we also do is we collect from cafes and caterers and things like that and that food needs to be transported um, in refrigerated trucks which we have uh, and milk and dairy and meat products and mm. things like that um, they 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 get transported in the refrigerated trucks and when they come to our bases they get put into chilled or frozen storage and all through the, the chain of transport um, it is kept cold or frozen to maintain its safety. Um, so yeah, we, we collect from growers. Um, if you think about the food value to the chain or the, uh, from the growing end to the consumer end, we collect from every business that that food passes through, but not the consumer end, unless mm. it's fruit off their trees or vegetables from their gardens. So it's, um, it's growers, manufacturers, retailers, wholesalers, um, aggregators. Mm. Um, so that's actually food being wasted at each level. Each level, and for different reasons. And that's the thing about food waste, is that there isn't just one reason why food is wasted. Um, you know, It's pretty well known why food is wasted at the consumer end, but wasting food at the, or, or loss of food, loss of waste at the growing end, might be because it doesn't meet consumer quality standards or mm. supermarket quality standards um, it might be because they've reached their quota that they were growing for and they don't even harvest the paddock that isn't needed wow. for the X number of tonnes that they were contracted to grow for uh, it might be a tag two or three you know cosmetic standard um, and then of course through the manufacturing process if there is a problem with the label mm. the label misses an ingredient or the label is wrong about the ingredients, then they can't sell it. And it costs the manufacturers more to relabel something than it does to simply throw it away. So the, that type of food at manufacturer level is destined to be dumped in landfill unless it's still in its, say, jar, 
glass jar uh, in a box wrapped in plastic on a pallet dumped in landfill unless the business can find a more sustainable and morally um, correct home for it alternative home for it that's and that's shocking. when they yeah well they don't do it so much now yeah. because because food rescues have popped up all around yeah. New Zealand yeah. uh, so that they and they don't want to do it I of mean, course they I think no one wants rather, to um, no one wants to waste food right mm-hmm. well, they would yeah. much rather send it back into the community where it's going to fulfill its natural purpose to feed humans mm. than to put it in landfill there just haven't really been the proper alternatives for them yeah and I also see the problem like you said is that it's just being that food won't even decompose because it's wrapped in the glass jar and then it wrapped in plastic so it's just kind of going to sit there um, occupying space yeah. but even if it does start to decompose it yeah. creates uh, methane yeah. um, which contributes to uh, greenhouse gas mm-hmm. problem and um, it uh, causes toxic leachate as it rains mm-hmm. on it it's just terrible for the environment. And as I said before, it's the food is not fulfilling its natural purpose, which is it was grown and manufactured and produced and made into something to feed humans. Mm. Throwing it away is just a waste. Yeah. I think, I mean, what you touched upon with the supermarkets and the standards, um, I was chatting with someone um, who does organic food and, and the research for that. Um, a lot of organic farmers... Do, are not keen to supply to supermarkets because of those standards that they have and if you're doing organic farming you can't make sure that your lemons are all going to be the same size and and when did we get to a point where your lemons all have to be the same size why do they (laughs) and who created that standard it was created by the consumers who said um i only want the perfect looking apple or perfect looking lemon and some of the time not all of the time but some of the time they gave up taste for that Mm. Uh, yeah, I remember I did fruit picking one semester after school and um, all my job, well, I didn't last in the fruit picking side, so they moved us to the packing and my whole job was just about um, all these cherries would come down and you had to make sure they were all perfect Yes. and um, otherwise you could just eat, even if they had a small blemish on it or a small scratch because that couldn't be exported. Um, and it would literally just be chucked away in a cardboard box unless you could eat all of them. <laughs> well, the great thing about um, this sort of new way of thinking is that supermarkets are now actively promoting mm-hmm. ugly fruit and vegetables. Um, and they're running whole campaigns and they actually have stands in the supermarkets. You have to look for it, and it's, but it's there where they are... Um, packaging or or, um, displaying this not quite so perfect uh, Mm. fruit and vegetables and uh, that's interesting well that's a good it's good (laughs) good, isn't it yeah yeah Yeah. because they don't want to throw it away either yeah so how big is I mean you already kind of spoke about the fact that the food is being wasted at every level but I mean can you share some figures like how big is the food waste problem really I mean I know about huge portions and food wastage happening in America but somehow I don't kind of see this as being something that I know. happens in New Zealand? I know, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, when we, if we look at just New Zealand's food waste, um, it's estimated that the New Zealand industry generates 103,000 tonnes of food waste annually. Of oh, food waste? Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's from industry and that um, 60% of food going to landfill is actually edible. Oh my gosh, it's mad, eh? And um, and that so that avoidable food waste from commercial outlets would feed somewhere between fifty thousand and eighty thousand people for a whole year. Oh. And if you look at residential food waste, so that's on the commercial side, and I suspect that that one hundred and three thousand tons is probably a light number. Mm. Um, on the residential side, uh, as you know. As most people know through the Love Food Hate Waste campaign, we are, the average New Zealand household sends around 79 kilograms of edible food to landfill every year, and um, and that adds up to being able to feed the population of Dunedin for two years from what we're just throwing away from our homes. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and I read on their website as well that you know all this avoidable food waste actually costs us around. 
like the beginning point is around five hundred dollars a year and possibly even more per per, per family per family per household, yep. and that adds up to eight hundred and seventy two million dollars of uneaten food. Oh my gosh! That is being thrown away. Yeah, so it's not that because we always talk about you know that the world's population is growing and we're not going to have enough food to feed all these people, but it actually seems like we have the food, but we're just throwing it away. That's right. Yeah. We, we produce enough food in New Zealand to feed 20 to 40 million people. Are you serious? We're a population wow. of five. We export a lot of it, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yet there are still people in New Zealand who are experiencing food insecurity. Mm. And with COVID-19, this has caused an increase in food insecurity as we see this new... Um, this new kind of like the the rich poor mm. it's, a, it's a sort of a strange saying but there is a whole level of New Zealanders who are experiencing food insecurity because they've lost their job um, they've they've got huge financial commitments that you know houses mortgages and things like that um, and so their food budget is an easy one to cut into when they've got other fixed costs and I don't want to necessarily dwell on those people except to say that they are a new lot coming through um, because we've always had food insecurity in New Zealand and it is shameful that we do given that we produce food and we're an island surrounded by water. Um, yeah. And yeah, so something does need to be done about it, that's for sure. So can you talk about this food insecurity problem? Like, um, I mean, so... I'm obviously not born in New Zealand. I came here from India. And when I did, um, I was quite shocked to hear about this food insecurity problem. Because to me, from the outside eye, it feels like everyone is way better off than if they were, like, if you were poor in India as compared to, you know, if you're poor in New Zealand. But I'm actually just been researching more about this. And it's actually a really big and real problem am I correct it is and I think probably we need to start by saying what is food insecurity yeah so what do, what's your understanding of what food insecurity is well I guess for me it's I mean I've just been reading more about you know like children coming to school hungry and uh, not knowing whether I mean not having had breakfast because their parents can't afford breakfast or um, you know things like that but I think what you touched upon earlier around the fact that people have so many other fixed expenses that now that's like a new kind of audience. Yeah, so so if you start with thinking, what does food insecurity mean? Mm. You know, if you use that word, what does it actually mean? Well, food insecurity means having access or not having access to food that is nutritionally, culturally, socially appropriate Mm. for your needs right so uh, it's not just missing a meal Mm. it's missing the meal that is nutritionally appropriate Mm. for you and um, culturally appropriate as well yeah so then we start looking at the figures and the latest figures are up to 300,000 children go to school without breakfast or bed without dinner every single day in New Zealand Uh, 7.3% of New Zealand households are classified as having low food security so they don't have access Mm. to nutritious and appropriate food on a regular basis Um, children in disadvantaged communities you know are two times more likely to end up in hospital and one in five children in households without access there are one in five children in households without access to enough food or healthy food it's just not acceptable yeah and I think what you talk around healthy food plays into other aspects as well right because we often uh, look at minority communities who face obesity issues or diabetes and go like oh but why don't they just eat healthier Um, but I've actually noticed fruit and veg is way more expensive um, than it is to kind of go get frozen chicken and you know, I mean, why is frozen chicken is way yeah, yeah, cheaper yeah. than getting fresh That's chicken? Right. Yes. Um, and so they, yeah, I mean, if you do have these food insecurity issues that's also going to lead on to well, food, other health issues. Well, that's exactly right. So 
what happens is if you don't have adequate adequate nutritionally um, suitable food for your diet, for your health and well-being, then you are much more at risk of um, associated health issues like obesity and diabetes. What then happens is people say, the critics say, why are we why are we giving food support to these communities where they're all, there is an obesity problem? Mm. What they don't understand is that the difference between nutrition and calories. Mm. So these children are getting, mostly children if we talk about them, they're, they're getting um, a lot of calories, but those calories have no nutritional value for them. They're high fat, high sugar content mm. in their food because as you say it is cheaper for them to buy a takeaway meal than it is to buy protein and vegetables and cook it um, into a family meal and that's just the reality that they face mm. and I think I mean, so that's so we've spoken about food wastage and food insecurity. And the other piece of the puzzle, I think what you guys are helping also is with the businesses, because having owned a food business myself, I can say that it's heartbreaking having to just throw away food at the end of the day. So what you were talking about with like you collecting sandwiches from Wishbone, um, I mean, that's a valuable service that is businesses are getting as yeah, well. Yeah. Well, what we're doing and and other food rescues around the country is that we are saving businesses money mm. bottom line we're saving them money because they would have to dispose of that food in some way yeah. um, so by giving it away we are saving them disposal costs on that food and we also know that food businesses that put in place food waste reduction measures can return a 14-fold investment on that um, Wow. On, on on the reduction measures that they put in. And, and not just saving their money from disposal costs, but we are giving them the opportunity to give back to their local community, and that's what they want. Yeah. You imagine a, an artisan baker, and we've got, we've got them in Dunedin, and where I first started um, collecting from them, and I would be chatting to them one day and saying, well, why are you doing this why are you giving away this really beautiful product mm. uh, when perhaps you could sell it tomorrow or something like that and they mm. they say well we got up at three o'clock in the morning to yeah. start baking this bread yeah. um, we've put our heart and soul into it there's absolutely no way we want to throw it away we're going to be doing it again tomorrow so we don't need to keep it over until tomorrow there's no way we want to throw away something that we put our heart and soul into and that's that connection that yeah. people have with food mm. um, and so for them for those businesses, giving them the opportunity to put something back into their community is is a very powerful thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I totally agree with the fact that when, you, yeah, when you're making something with love and you've made it, I mean, it's the same as if you made something at home, right? Like you don't want to see it being wasted. Absolutely um, right. And yet for businesses, it's a fine line to toe between running out of food too early in the day you can't have that either so it's it's very hard mm, to mm, to find that mm. balance where um i think food rescue organizations like yourself kind of you know step in and and help out so i think it's a it's a really valuable yeah. um thing so so yeah i i think the interesting thing about kiwi harvest's growth is that we started in dunedin we then moved to Auckland because we had corporate support to do that. Mm -hmm. Not from a food business, but from a um, Goodman Property and Goodman Foundation. They they decided that they wanted to give back into the communities where they were actually operating. And so they funded Kiwi Harvest to come from Dunedin and set up a, a base in Auckland. When, when you get a business that supports you that way when you work in the sector that we're working in, it just makes all the difference to what you can do. Um, so from there, we then branched out to the North Shore and Dunedin and Hawke's Bay um, and Queenstown. And uh, so from the back of my car, driving around, just me, to now we have eight trucks, refrigerator trucks on the road. We have over 20 or 30 staff 
and um, over 20 staff and uh, we collect about 140,000 kilograms of food. So from seven kilograms that one day, 140,000 kilograms of food in a month now. And I just checked the figures before I came here to talk to you. So we've rescued since 2012, four and a half million kilograms of food that was destined to be thrown away. And that's provided the equivalent of 12.9 million meals. Mm. So we're a population of 500 and we've provided the equivalent of nearly 13 million meals. My gosh. Wow. Just from something people consider to have no value. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> so tell me about a little bit about uh, the business end of things, like the growth story. I mean, we, you spoke a little bit about you, um, you know, starting yep. off in your car. Um, how do you scale something like this? And what's that journey kind of been like? Well, you start with a plan. Mm. You start with a plan and, and know that you do want to scale it. Mm. Um, and then uh, you, you try and find money for it. Yes. It's not easy <laughs> to do. Um, but as I said, you know, we were, we were really fortunate with Goodman. With, they offered to fund mm. us to establish Auckland, which has now become our headquarters. Uh, and, and you learn to start, you have your plan, but then you learn to recognize opportunities when they come and have the courage to take them Mm. so you know expansion into Auckland we always wanted to do but we didn't plan on doing it so soon um and that was five or six years ago now Uh, but the opportunity was too good so we had to take it and and went with it and then you you start to collect a lot of information about what you do in the in the form of metrics and data by doing that, you then can start to tell your story. Yeah. Um, we have been very strict with ourselves about keeping data. So uh, recently when a master's student from the University of Otago asked if they could do some research for us, I asked if they could do a social return on investment analysis. Because we had all of this data, yeah. they could then... Um, work on what that analysis looked like and it came out that for every one dollar that we spend we put back five dollars and 16 worth of social benefits into the community oh my Um, god that's amazing and but and the thing about that is that it's it's just it's a great way to tell your story to a business so i can go to a business and i can say if you give me ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars i'll turn that into $50,000 worth of social benefits, mm. health and well-being, um, volunteer engagement for your employees, um, just a whole lot of other stuff. So, mm. yeah, it's a good story to tell. So business growth has been um, in steps like that. Uh, get some money, make a plan, get some money, uh, implement that plan, make the next plan, and so on and so forth. And about... Two years ago, I recognised that there was no formal mechanism in New Zealand to aggregate and distribute bulk surplus or donated food. Mm -hmm. What the Food Rescue Kiwi Harvest and and the other food rescues were doing was boxes quantities, sometimes sometimes pallets, but not 200 pallets or 600 pallets, which is out there. Um, And there was no place in New Zealand that was doing that. So we made a plan. Um, The plan would be, uh, what if we put warehouses in Auckland and warehouses in the South Island? And we said to the large food growers and suppliers and manufacturers, this is where you can send your bulk palletised surplus or donated product and this particular organisation will send it around the country from Northland to Invercargill, east to west coasts and drop it off at other food rescues and other food banks So um, to, to provide them with food. Uh, and what would that look like? Mm. And so we decided that we would do this. Uh, This organisation would sit above food rescues and food banks and feed down to them. 
And I tried to get people to fund it, and I just couldn't do it. The, mm. the, it was just too much money, and I couldn't get any individuals to give us the amount of money. And, and in retrospect, of course, I was never going to do it. I didn't realise at the time I was naively thinking I could go and do that. And it wasn't until we went into lockdown, we were about to go into lockdown, and one of the people, one of the philanthropic um, donors that I had approached rang me and said, remember that idea that you had? I think we're going to need that now. Oh yeah, um, of course, because everything just... Yes, yeah, because we had this enormous um, bulge of food mm. when the hospitality industry closed down. Um, think, I mean, think about Subway restaurants. They rang us and donated from all of their stores across the country all of their food that was kept in their chillers. And it was beautiful stuff. You can think what goes into a Subway sandwich. Yeah. All of that fresh vegetable had to come, vegetables had to come out of every Subway store or restaurant in the country and be distributed around the country. So uh, we set about designing it during lockdown and we had a group of incredibly smart people that we pulled in and uh, we had a, a committee of Kiwi Harvest board and, and other members and during lockdown from all over the country in our rooms mm. via Zoom, we we built this new business, which the government then funded in the budget, and uh, we've called it the New Zealand Food Network. Oh, that's amazing. Mm. Yeah, and it's, you're right, because we just need to have something like this for when maybe something like this happens again or like you said there is so much wastage happening at the farm level that we're not even thinking about or those pallets of food food being wasted we've already got turners and growers fonterra and sanitarium mm. saying that they want to be founding food donors these people will actually donate mm. uh, there'll be some potential food waste that comes from turners and growers but but most of it will be just um, passed through as a as a donation and sanitarium obviously mm. and Fonterra as well so these big iconic mm. Kiwi brands recognize that they have a responsibility to do their bit yeah um, and and we're going to make it simple for them all they have to do is deliver the pallets of food yep. to our warehouses yep. And then we do the rest. Yeah. And it goes equitably around the country mm. um, so that everybody gets the benefit of it. And it just doesn't stay in yeah. local cities. Yeah. Because I think the problem, like, I mean, the problem isn't that businesses don't want to give the food or, you know, that they don't want to donate. The problem mm. is they want to donate, but then at the same time they can't have like full-time staff figuring out the logistics behind it so that's completely you've made, right yes. you've made it easy for them like okay you just send your food here and we'll figure it out for you because what happens is that they then have to have if they don't use it that mm -hmm. new system then they've got to put a dedicated staff member on to spend two three four five days ringing all around the country yeah and then they have to pay for the cost of it to be transported all around the country. It's a hard ask for them to do that. We want to make it as easy as possible mm -hmm. for them. And we vet all of the agencies that we uh, give the food to so that they know it's going to the right place and it's, and it's going to the people who need it the most. Mm. And speaking about lockdown, I was reading how you partnered with um, Uru Fenua Health to rescue all the pork as well like I didn't actually think about I mean one is like all the chillers and all the fruit and veg but um, didn't think about the kind of animal welfare side of it that there's all these animals lined up and now nowhere to um, exactly right yeah to so it was actually MPI mm. we MPI contacted me and mm. said uh, we have an animal welfare crisis uh, with pork we need to, and the MPI is prepared to purchase the pork from the pork suppliers, uh, but we need a distribution system to get it out there. And we, so we want to donate it to Kiwi Harvest, who will then distribute it using mm. your networks around the country. Um, and so we worked on that for six weeks. It's just coming to an end now. Uh, and it's it's been an extraordinary exercise. We have... We have moved over 1,000 pallets of pork, most wow. of it fresh, mm. 
uh, and it has been turned around each week, uh, pork being processed, uh, transported to our cool store facilities around the country, then transported out to something like 96 different organisations, including iwi, mm. who um, uh, desperately need support. Mm. Um, and that's all done within two or three days. And wow. then the next week it all starts again. Mm. Um, and then once it got into the hands of the food rescues and food banks and the iwi, then they did the most amazing job then gathering their systems together and their people together to then spread it even further um, into their communities, sometimes driving for two or three hours to drop it off to whanau um, in some of the really remote places of New Zealand. It's been a fabulous initiative. Averted the pork crisis. Yep. Um, financially supported the uh, the farmers mm. who needed it, and at the same time, provided much needed protein to people who who were, were experiencing issues with their food security. Win, win, win. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and we talk about food having the power to kind of bring people together, and this is this is like a real example of food actually just bringing people all across the country at all levels right like your farmers iwi um it's a great example of yeah. public private partnerships too mm. you know and and the government saying actually we can step in and help here yeah. and i think you know as as dreadful as the coronavirus and covid-19 has been it has brought new zealand together where we have seen the common goal as being more important than the individual um, business mm. goal, I guess. So. And so then speaking about partnerships, I mean, we've spoken about all these big partnerships, which has been amazing. Um, how do you go about setting up some of these, the smaller partnerships with like, you know, um, getting to these social agencies or working with someone like Everybody Eats? Like how so they is approach it? Um, us. Yeah, they, yep. they approach you. So they come to us, uh, usually through our website, hmm. kiwiharvest.org.nz. And on that website is... Um, links to various forms or emails ad addresses and then there's a robust process that they have to go through uh, so we like to find out what services they offer what mm. support services they offer because it's important uh, for people to realize that we don't give to the end user we give to the agency that then supplies the food because we are we believe that they are better equipped to understand food security in their community mm. and give it to the right people. That's important. It goes to the right people um, that need it the most. So so they contact us. Uh, they fill in a form. They then register with us, telling us what they need, how often they need it, um, what sort of infrastructure capability they have. So they, if they, they're asking for a lot of chilled product, then we need to know how big their chillers are mm. um, and then sadly they often then go on a waiting list <laughs> and yeah. uh, we get to them as and when we can mm. that's awesome I think um, couldn't have been easy to set up these partnerships because it's like multi-level right like you need like you said you need the money coming in at the same time as you need these agencies <laughs> to be doing their job and then obviously you need the food <laughs> to be That's transported right. so there's all the logistics involved as well and the but the thing about the agencies that we give to is that they are so varied mm -hmm. and there are so many wonderful organizations out there in our community that provide food support for people in need there are the big ones, the Salvation Army, the City Missions, um, that we are all aware of, that do a fabulous job, Women's Refuge, Night Shelters. Mm. But then there are the smaller groups, um, and they might provide one meal a week as a community meal, and mm. that bring people into their hall to, yep. to, um, to share food together and meet each other mm. and, and, and sort of try and break that isolation that can be so devastating on the health and well-being for people. Yeah. Um, so it's it's varied. There are some big ones and there are some small ones. Yeah. I know of a local organisation, there are a sick organisation in my community and just when the lockdown began, they just um, 
got all this food donated by families and they were like you don't even need to stop by just it was like a drive through food pickup thing which they organized at the local gurudwara and i thought that was just fantastic People right were incredibly generous weren't yeah. they yeah mm. yeah so i also read that you're the co-founder of new zealand food waste champions no, co-chair. 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 Okay. So the New Zealand Food Waste Champions 12.3 was founded by Tessa Vincent. Okay. Uh, and I am just one of the champions and I co-chair it with Miranda Morosa, an academic from the University of Otago. Uh, yeah, the great thing about the um, New Zealand Food Waste Champions is that it's a coalition of champions from New Zealand's food supply chain and we work to accelerate progress towards achieving the Sustainable Development Goal Target 12.3, in the name, to halve food waste by 2030. So we have representatives from throughout the food chain, um, from supermarkets and uh, from retailers and from innovative businesses, from uh, food waste businesses um, and academics as well. yeah, it's a it's a it's a new initiative, and it's it's a really exciting initiative, yeah. because it it it's there to promote this food waste, but um, to actually draw attention to the fact that we have to do this together. Yeah, we cannot keep working in silos. We all have to start working together if we're going to achieve things. Yeah, and education is such a big part of it. Like, I mean, we've spoken a little bit on the show about educating on the home level of how you can save food but the scale at which you're talking is um you know how can farmers and how can supermarkets operate at a better level and the education happening at that at that corporate level yeah i mean we're not experts in that Mm. and i wouldn't tell people how to do their own job i mean they know that if they can make efficiencies in their in their own systems it's going to save them money and so they'll do it I think what we do is we probably highlight to them that there is a food waste issue out there and that if they want to look at their own systems um, they can make some improvements and if they have surplus then there is a place for it to go it doesn't have to go to landfill yeah I think, yeah, like you said, you make it easy for them. And then also just highlighting, because if you go to someone, I mean, everyone knows that food wastage is a problem. Everyone knows that food insecurity is a problem. But what you've said here in terms of like the figures that you shared, like how big the problem is, I mean, until I think you clearly communicate and do it again and again on how big it is, people are not going to kind of get on board is the way I see it. Well, the other thing too is that these are two big problems of food waste and food insecurity with one really simple solution. Yeah. Just take the food waste and use it to help the food insecurity. It's not rocket science. Yeah. The education part in homes is 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 a different piece. Um, and we tend to refer people to the Love Food Hate Waste website with all their resources, which tell people to shop smart and um, love their leftovers and understanding the difference between best before and use by is the most crucial thing Mm. to address um, food waste in the um, residential Mm. system yeah yeah so so you know use by is is about safety Um, it's Use eat the food or use this food by this date because um, it it will be safe to yeah. eat. Think of it as a line drawn in the sand. You don't go over that date, so don't consume it after it's used by. Best before is a completely different thing, and people often confuse them. Best before is about quality. Yeah. So where used by is about safety. Best before is about quality. Um, the food in this uh, container will be at its maximum quality until this best before date and after that it may lose a little of its quality it's still perfectly safe to eat so don't throw away the packet of food uh, that's got a best before date on it that's expired use your common sense is yeah. it, I mean take the top off the lid of the, the, the top off the milk and smell the milk if it's good um, 
and doesn't smell off, then it's probably fine to drink. You know, just use your common sense. Yeah. Or just, yeah, like my grandmum, she'd make it into yogurt and then she'd do something yes. else with it. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can do with it. And I think what you said, the um, Love Food Hate Waste website, they do an amazing job in terms of just kind of educating yes. people on... Yes. Um, Oh, just giving ideas, right, of what what can be done, um, which is and which having is a meal of leftovers. Yeah, I and mean, I grew up with um, if we had a roast, which mm. was pretty rare in those days, um, then there was always another meal made out of that roast. Um, leftover roast potatoes were fried up. Mm. Um, the meat might have been turned into a cottage pie or a shepherd's pie. Understanding that leftovers can actually be a meal yeah. is, is an important thing as well. Yeah. Awesome. So just as we wrap up, um, can you tell me a little bit more about how can, I think you've already sp- said some amazing stuff around the growth of Kiwi Harvest and where you're heading, but um, what are your plans for the future? Like, how do you see this um, being supersized or, you know, growing into so, the future? So the future for Kiwi Harvest is part New Zealand Food Network Mm. because we couldn't get... We've got a big warehouse in South Auckland, courtesy of Goodman, but we couldn't get a warehouse big enough to take three or four hundred pallets of food Mm. and to put chillers in and freezers in that would take that sort of volume Mm. of food. But Kiwi Harvest operates... uh, on a very fast model so Mm. the food comes in and within 24 hours it's out again we will just continue to grow Uh, more food equals more trucks more Mm. people more agencies that we can supply food to Uh, we've got our branches around the country that we need to expand and um, build up so that they can take this more food that will be coming their way Uh, and uh, whether we open up other branches in other areas will really be dependent on those areas contacting us and um, talking through how they see it working. We believe in a collaborative approach, so it would be um, communities wanting this to happen and wanting to be part of Kiwi Harvest doing it. Unfortunately, that's not my decision because I'm not the general manager of Kiwi Harvest. (laughs) (laughs) So so our general manager, Blandina Diamond, will make those decisions uh, with our CEO, uh, Gavin Finlay. Mm. And how was it kind of taking a little bit of the backseat since you started since you started Kiwi Harvest, how has that been? Um, I'm enjoying it, yes. Yeah. I thought I would cut down on my hours, but in actual fact, because we've been building the New Zealand Food Network, I've actually worked much longer hours. But uh, this, I, is the big, this is the big startup slash entrepreneur lie, right? <laughs> like, I'll get into it and you can work the hours that you'd like. And that, <laughs> that actually means every hour is possibly there. <laughs> that is absolutely true. Um, the lovely thing for me now, as I step back from the CEO role, uh, is that as a founder and a director mm. of, of the both businesses, I now get to do the things that I really like, like mm. sitting here talking to you, uh, like going and talking to people in government, like giving um, talks to organisations that support us to their employees and tell them what a difference they're making. Mm. That for me is is what really rocks my boat, just talking to people and and, and telling them the story of how they can make a difference. Um, And, and, you know, I I know that people want to make a difference. Mm. They just... They just need to be shown how, yeah. and then they'll grab that and, and run with it. Yeah, it's important to tell that story, and um, yeah, so that people can, like you said, just run with it and mm. actually be rejuvenated in their efforts to, um, you know, keep tackling this problem. Mm. Mm. Okay, so to end on a high note, we're going to now do my favorite section of the show, which is called Fast Food Five. Okay, it has nothing to do with fast food. It is five fast questions about food. <laughs> All right, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Your favorite vegetable to repurpose? Tomato. Tomato? Yeah. Mm. Lots of stuff that you can do with a tomato. Yeah, mm. lots of stuff. You can turn it into a, um, a salsa, a soup, 
um, p- something with pasta on toast. Love tomatoes. Yeah, and it tastes different with like every application every of it. Different <laughs> way. Yes, and you know, as I said before, I grew up um, with a vegetable garden, mm. and tomatoes were a huge part of that vegetable garden. And my mother still makes tomato sauce out of the tomatoes that they grow in their vegetable garden. We haven't we haven't brought commercial tomato sauce in years because mm. we have homegrown tomato sauce. It's beautiful. Yeah. And that tastes completely different, may I add, completely the homegrown tomato sauce. And But tomatoes, you know, they smell different and they taste different. Yeah, yeah. Mm. so tomatoes. <laughs> okay. Your favourite thing to cook um, using your leftover Sunday roast? That would be probably a cottage pie because that's what I grew up with. That's what my mother did. She did a really great cottage pie using the uh, leftover mutton mm. uh, that she would mince up in the old mincer oh, that mincer. was attached <laughs> to the bench and yeah. then you'd, you know, you'd put the put the chunks of meat in the top and then wind the handle and it would come out as, as mince and it was this was cooked meat mm. and then she'd put it in a dish and put uh, the potatoes on top of it and cook it in the oven and we'd have it with the tomato sauce. So <laughs> <laughs> All right. The one thing that you must always have in your kitchen extra virgin olive oil mm-hmm. good olive oil makes all the difference right <laughs> that's for me yeah mm. okay if you were a food item that was to be wasted which one would you be <laughs> if I was a food item to be wasted yeah like um, of all the things that get wasted which uh-huh. will you be like the most likely to be would you be a potato would you be a carrot which one would you be most likely I guess I would be a potato because a potato is the most wasted uh, vegetable in the world. Mm, yeah, and, and the, the potato is really versatile. versatile. I was just yes, going to say that. <laughs> yes. So, I, yeah, I'd, I'd like to consider myself to be a versatile potato. Okay. I think considering you went from being a lawyer to um, <laughs> being in the food industry, that's <laughs> worth it. All right. And last question. Would you rather give up salt or give up sugar? I'll give up sugar. Give up sugar. Mm. Yeah. Could and would happily give mm. up sugar. Um, salt, I think, used in moderation adds and enhances. Mm. Um, and But for me, I, I don't have a lot of sugar in my diet. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Deborah. It's been amazing having you here and just listening to the amazing work Kiwi Harvest is doing. And I wish you good luck in your journey. Thank you. Thank you for having me. for listening to the Kiwi Foodcast brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Be sure to listen in next time for another helping of Kiwi Food Stories.